Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. So why these particular T words are all in the title, you may may want to know. Fair question. It's because this podcast deals with subject matter considered to be taboo. This podcast deals with a person's perception of truths. And this podcast deals with storytelling tales of fiction told by an individual. You need to choose for yourself what you perceive as truths versus tales because very often in real life that distinction is not crystal clear. This podcast is marked explicit. What that means, you should not listen to this podcast if you happen to be under the age of 18 or if someone under age 18 is listening there with you. Explicit means nobody under age 18 should be listening to this podcast series. So here we go. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast, which is definitely intended for people who are 18 or older. Thank you. Now let's get started. My guest today is Devannon Hubert. He's in the great state of Louisiana, and his memoirs are entitled Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. And it's all about his struggles with drug addiction, drug dealing, homelessness, serving in the armed forces, contracting HIV and Hep B, and rejection from his organized religion and his church because of his sexuality. What a mess. How did you turn out at all, Devannon? You know, there's nothing like a good hot mess to give you a good kick in the ass to set you on a better direction in life. (laughs) And so, um, you know, it wasn't me really who made it out. It was the Lord who brought me out and the whole team of people and counselors and a whole lot of prayer and stuff like that and my parents and stuff like that. I wasn't able to survive all that on my own. Now, there's a there's a truism, I guess it is, that says a person is never given more adversity or trials and tribulations than they can handle. Do you, do you think that's a fair way of expressing it? I would say the evidence would be hard to argue against otherwise because I'm still here. And I believe many people in your audience would say the same thing. You know, they've been through a whole lot of stuff. During that time, it felt insurmountable and like they were just going to give up, but they're still there. So clearly it was enough for them to handle. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to, uh, you wouldn't know this unless you've looked into my story on my website, on the Taboo Truths website. But I was raised... um in organized religion. I was raised in the Roman Catholic faith, but I became an atheist. And some would say, well, it's because you were raised in the, <laughs> in the Roman Catholic faith. But I became an atheist, which means I don't believe in the what the Roman Catholics call 
in so many words, the interventionist deity, you know, God in heaven watches over us, counts every hair on our head and all that. I don't, I don't believe in that. So my question, I am also a gay man. So my question to you is why in your life, in your situation, did you maintain or retain your connection to any religion after you had troubles with the people in the religion not accepting you because you are gay? Right. Well, I just before I answer that, I just want to say you're not the first for ex-Catholic who could give a fuck less about anything that has to do with spirituality. <laughs> it's 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 as common as a bag of red beans. <laughs> it, it happens so much, and I I'm sorry to have to, that I can say that. You know, the devastating things, the abuse that people have experienced in the Catholic Church, mental, physical, emotional, for God's sake, sexual. God help the altar boys. You know, and everything like that. It's um. I'm not surprised at all to hear you say that, though I am still sorry. Now, for my taking it all, see, I started walking with the Lord and being spiritual and everything before I was into volunteering at church. My fault was getting God and preachers and God and organized religion conflated and intertwined. So, yes, the people in the church hurt me, but I was not as mature then as I am now. After I reeled you know, from being homeless and everything like that and living on the street and being in and out of jail and, you know, on and off of drugs, you know, I begin to realize, you know, God is not them and they are not God. People, they tried to put themselves forward and act like they are, and I believe that lie. So I had to grow up and put my big boy pants on. Remember, you know, it was me and God before I ever started volunteering at these churches, and it's going to be me, him, me and him after. I don't attend a church service anymore. I don't uh, consider myself aligned with any denomination, but I wasn't going to let those people take from me my spiritual walk because of the foolishness that they did. And so when I got kicked out of church for not being straight, and I was at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas under Joel Osteen when this happened, um, what I should have done was went and got some mental health therapy and counseling and just found myself a gay-affirming church. And you have several religions out there that are totally cool with all lifestyles, and they're not going to classify us and demonize us you know but i didn't know all of that then and i and when i got hurt i took it very personally and i just threw it all away as we tend to do and um so basically you know i'm more mature now and i know how to separate god from religion uh our most important time with our spiritual walk with whoever whatever you believe in is your alone time even going to church is only supposed to be an accessory to your faith so I do my spiritual thing at home with my boyfriend. You know, if I ever want to gather with friends together, I can. But I don't, I've let go of the, the whole church thing. You know, I just don't put the two together anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm, I appreciate your telling me that the specifics of not being a church goer, you know, quote unquote, also not being within a specific uh, organized religious uh, group or, or faith, because I really wonder, I have met many gay men, and in large cities, I'm in Las Vegas, but in larger cities, there are, what you mentioned, there are churches that are uh, friendly, or gay-affirming at least. The thing is, though, if it's a gay-affirming church, or one of those hateful-ass churches out there, my, my take on church is this, church is a place you go to learn. Okay, 
you go to learn when you're new in your faith you don't exactly know how to approach God or or whomever it is you believe in well it's particularly in Christianity let's say like if you're talking about a Buddhist it's a little bit different because some of their core you know their core structure revolves around assembling you know in the Buddhist temple but um, but if we're talking about like say these different Christianity uh, denominations and whatnot it's it's school you're going there to it's like school you're going there to learn about how to worship God and stuff like that so for me I believe there comes a point where you should graduate from the shit I don't I don't subscribe to this like I get if somebody's new they may need that community to help them get on the right track I get that there's nothing wrong with church um, but my whole thing is the dependency on it like forever now the church is going to tell you you always got to come here or something bad is going to happen to you or they're going to twist the word to tell you that because they have an agenda and they need money and they need to keep the doors open but you personally I don't the reason I don't go to churches anymore is because I've outgrown them. I've learned what I needed to learn. I know how to go into the Bible, into the original languages that it was written in and use concordances and all of this and study it myself. So I don't need a preacher anymore, you know, because I can preach to myself. And so my message to people, okay, use the churches for as long as you need to, but don't approach them with this mindset that you got to stay there forever. Unless you just really like going there and hanging out with Sister Sally and Sister Susie. If that suits you, then fucking do it. But, right. But not, not because you have to. Yeah, you're talking about the to. the social things are fun, and and that's fine. And, and I did find in when I was actively going to church, to the Roman Catholic Church, it was fun in the social sense. Um but beyond that, I didn't like being told, you know, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that and so forth. But you seem to be smarter than, and I'm not just saying this. I think I've concluded that you seem smarter than others I have been, come across, encountered, who have been able to separate, as you say, God from religion and also being a gay man. Because I know many, many gay men who really still want religion and church going in their lives and you seem to be beyond that now this took the better part of a decade for me to get to this point this didn't just happen overnight so i do want to stress that you know when i began to read once i got kicked out of lakewood church i didn't return i didn't step foot in the church again for almost five years and beyond that i had been in church probably since i was like you know super young up until that time you know, and this was here in like, was in my like late 20s when this happened. So, you know, I allowed it to cause a rift like that. It takes time to heal church wounds. That is a, a unique kind of searing soul pain that it, 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 it's just a really bad scar. And it takes a long time. Well, it took a long time for, for me to heal to the point that I can speak to you like I am now. I'm not bitter about it anymore. I'm not angry about it anymore. I'm not letting those emotions dictate what I do or separate me from God anymore. Now, the gays who still feel the need to go to church are no different than the straight people who feel the need to go to church because that was indoctrinated into us when we were young. They took us to church whether we wanted to go or not. You know, whoever it is that was in charge of us when we were kids and we were told this is what you do, this is what you have to do if you want to die and go to heaven and not go to hell. You know, this stuff is all ingrained in us. The church is... The church is not going to preach spiritual de independency, which is what I'm preaching, you know. And so the peop people have got to work hard to get that indoctrination 
up out of them. Um, how do you do it? Through various counseling, hypnotherapy, journaling, you know, at first admitting that it's there and, you know, then getting an objective perspective, but they're going to always desire that until they check that. Right. Like you said, some of the many of them, probably all of them, churches, organized uh, religious groups need money and they need contributors and they need buildings that the contributors help fund or um, in my experience it was the Catholic Church needed uh, cemeteries you know so they and mausoleums uh, so they asked for money every Sunday money 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 but I think that people can and you seem to be an example of this people can separate themselves if they want and then become I don't know is it are you happier I think you are I mean I didn't know you before but you seem also healthy in the mental sense and I didn't know you before but it sounds like you had a really rough time and yet you turned out mentally healthy do you think that's a good way of expressing it yes and I and I appreciate those kind words very much I'll say it like this. Um, it's like you have to, it's like you wouldn't go to college forever. Eventually you have to graduate. You can't be, pull a Van Wilder, reference to an old movie. You can't pull a Van Wilder and be a forever senior. You know, in churches, church to me is no different. Like you have to graduate. At some point, you have to get close enough with God that you don't need other people in order to reach Him or to feel like you need to reach them. And that's my main problem with the Catholic Church is that they have this, they put, they, it's like you can't get forgiven unless you go run to the booth and tell all your sins to this fucking stranger and and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I have problems with several different religions and stuff like that. But, um, but, I, but you know, just, you know, because it's like this, when you stand before the Lord, like you die and you stand before the Lord, you can't, you can't have a priest with you. You can't be like, you know, you can't be like, oh, I did this and I did that. You you don't want to be like talking to a stranger. You want it to be like you've had a long distance relationship with God, maybe like a texting relationship or something like that. Now, finally, you're getting to see him face to face. You have got to get to know God for yourself. And um, whether the church is all burned down or not shouldn't matter. We've got to look at these preachers and these churches like what they are, which are businesses bottom lines some of them file as llc's and stuff like that you know they got all kinds of things going on and and those preachers are not perfect so we need to stop being shocked when they show up in scandals they're human we shouldn't have put them on a pedestal in the first place yeah so you know we got to get our perspective straight about about these people you know god's the main thing um i feel like the further i get away from churches the closer i get to god that is really good. Well, and then you used a phrase, uh, the scars of, uh, the deep soul scars of uh, religion. That's, uh, <laughs> I like that phrase an awful lot. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you have referred to what I would say in so many words, you didn't use this word, but you have referred to the afterlife or what happens after we die. Um, in a couple of weeks ago, I lost two people in the same week who suddenly passed away. And so I've been confronting, you know, human 
mortality. I'm going to die. Everyone's going to die. And what I look at for the afterlife is one thing. But what do you see when you think of, if I ask you, can you describe the afterlife as you believe it, what would you say? What I know of it is that those who have gone before, those who have gone on, still have access to us. So like my pastor, my grandmother, certain people who have died come back and say, speak to me in dreams. Oh, we've heard the story. Sometimes people might say something like they might smell a, a fragrance that a dead person they know used to wear just might suddenly show up at some point around them just randomly while they're in the kitchen cooking or some shit, maybe a favorite activity they used to do together, you know, and people believe that that is the spirit of their dead person uh, who is still watching over them. So I don't know what what it's like on the other side. Um, I had an experience of dying once when I was a teenager. I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't catch my breath. We've heard the stories of how, you know, sometimes teens get like these weird heart rhythms and just like suddenly die and shit. And I think that that might have been what was going on with me. And I was like trying to breathe and I couldn't catch my breath. And I saw, I don't know if I, you know, I saw, what I saw was like this, a tunnel and, and I saw like a person who I knew was dead already and the other people I didn't recognize. And it looked like they were carrying on business as usual as they would have had they still been alive. But I knew the one person was dead and the other person I didn't know. Now I couldn't catch my breath and I don't know if I passed out or whatever, but I still woke back up the next day. And um, so that's the closest knowingly that I've ever come physically to departing this plane of existence. And whatever is on the other side, all I know is the important thing is to just put yourself in a position that you're going to be wherever it is that God is. I don't get caught up on whether or not hell is full of fire if it isn't. All I know is that from reading the good book, it doesn't seem like God's there. So I don't want to be anywhere where God is not because God gives us any kind of peace that we have. And so as a spirit, I don't believe I'm coming back as a butterfly or a manatee or whatever the hell you know, kind of animals, you know, people, nothing against people, that's what they believe, but I just, considering the dead people who come back and speak to me, I just don't, they don't reincarnate, they turn into a spirit, and then they, they and it's like they can still have an influence on this world. I, what I want is to be like them. When I die, I want it to turn into a spirit that is still powerful and strong enough and caring enough to pray for people who are still alive. And when you say pray for, you mean um, connect in a, like you said, in a dream state or in some other way communicate with the living in that way? Right. You know, all of those things. Send messages. You can still, dead people, this may be getting kind of deep and everything like that, but, you know, that there's a lot of stuff. And if you talk to, like, highly clairvoyant people, you know, you can get into these conversations that I have known one particularly, you know, highly clairvoyant person in my life, you know, my personal mentor, you know, you know, throughout my, you know, whole life and everything until she died a few years ago. Um, you know, when I was going through everything, you know, coming off of being homeless, my grandmother, who had been dead many years before that, her spirit would be around me quite often. I could tell it. Uh, my clairvoyant, the, 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 account, the counselor that I'm telling you about, would pick up on that and tell me too, and she would tell me, it was like my dead grandmother 
had her, it was like she had her hands on my head and she would be like praying for me, you know, through the spirit world and praying for me to help keep my mind together because of how devastated that I, that I was. So to paint an illustration of just how low I went when I was homeless and everything like that, I became homeless after the drug raid. I was selling a lot of meth and a whole bunch of narcotics and the SWAT came and got me helicopters, canine units, semi-automatic rifles, face shields, Kevlar vests, the whole nine, just like Tony Montana or some other gangsters and shit, some Frank Lucas shit. And, um, and so after the drug raid, I became homeless. And so, um, and I, and when I went so low, when I began to come back up, I had to teach myself how to like do simple shit, like brush my teeth every day clip my nails I had to learn the basics like a baby all over again and so my mind was overthrown and so my grandmother was hovering close and according to the word of my counselor whom I believe because all of her prophecies and spiritual sayings were correct throughout my life she was saying my grandmother would be praying for me you know in her spirit form and keep helping to keep my head together this was like the only thing that was keeping my head together apparently yeah now you've said in um, in the material the about Devanin material. One of the things you've said, or you didn't say it, you wrote it in a on a website that you were at one point hospitalized under uh, psychiatric care. Uh, can you talk about that? Oh, I've been hospitalized at least three <laughs> three times <laughs> for psychiatric <laughs> care. Um, <laughs> So, well, what? All right, no, no, you can't just let that go. What <laughs> was? All right, let's just pretend that. Let's pretend that the timeline matters, and maybe it doesn't. Was the first time related to being busted, or had you been put into institutional care before you got busted, or? How did that work out? No, all of that was after. So I found out that I was HIV positive on a voicemail on New Year's Eve 2011. That is what really, really threw me off track. Getting kicked out of church started it. And that's what got me into the drugs. And once I got into the drugs, I got super reckless. Then I let myself get hepatitis and HIV. And then I found out about the hepatitis through a letter in the mail because they had gone to donate blood. And I found out about the HIV a few months later on a voicemail because I was dealing with a very careless doctor. So that's how the whole recklessness started. Then I started getting arrested. And so it was the um, second arrest that was a drug raid. It was the third arrest, why I'm now banned from Bank of America for life. And then um, after, it was after, um, after that, when I started to, um, when I came back to, all of that was in Houston, Texas. And, um, you know, you know, Lakewood Church, you know, the Houston Police Department, all of it. So I'm back in Louisiana, you know, trying to get my life together. But I went back to Houston one time to try to get a whole lot of drugs because, as they say, the streets be calling. It's hard to get out of the game once you've been in it. You get very used to that lifestyle. It's a community. You know, when you are dealing drugs or you're a part of gangs or you're homeless, it's not just. It's not just like a lower form of living. It's 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 a it's a family. It's a it's a community. It's a it's what you get used to. And so when you ask somebody, hey, could you stop being homeless? Could you stop dealing drugs? Could you leave that gang? You're that's like someone asking someone who's not in those things, hey, could you leave your job? Could you leave your church? Could you walk away from that community group you love? 
<laughs> you know, right. yeah. it's not that easy. And so I was back there. I probably I got high, shot up way too much meth, and was sketched out, and scrolled on over to the. And you know, when I would get like that, I would think the cops were after me. And and that's this time they were because I was on probation. I shouldn't have been in Texas anyway. Much less picking up. I went there to get like a quarter pound of meth or some shit like that. And so, <laughs> and so, so I ran to the VA hospital. Well, I didn't exactly run there. It's a whole sketch scene. I was running all across the road and everything was a hot mess. And that's the first time. And I was causing such a scene in the VA because I'm a veteran. I, was, I did six years in the Air Force. So I wanted the police. I wanted I wanted them to take me to the VA. Because if you get in trouble, like if you're like, now I'm not saying if you murder somebody or some shit. And I don't know about that. But if you like are doing some illegal drug trickery. But if you go to, like, say, a mental hospital, they're going to keep you at least three days. But the way the drug laws work, they kind of got to arrest you quick, you know, and shit. You got to have the evidence on you. They got to arrest you in a certain amount of time. So if you go to the mental hospital, you know, by the time you get out, they're not going to be able to probably press any charges or anything because too much time has passed. So I knew this. And so I went running over to the VA hospital. Um, and I, I they, and they and the nurses are all like, did you do any drugs? And I'm like, no. You know, it's abundantly clear. They they gave me like so many pills, man. I I, I didn't wake up for three days, huh. and so that was my first trip to the mental hospital. And then another one. I was in I was in New Orleans, and I got into some fuckery. And then the VA was like, "Okay, we're shipping you straight to rehab." So they sent me on an ambulance. It was about a four or five hour or six hour uh, ambulance ride from New Orleans, Louisiana, up to Shreveport, Louisiana. New Orleans in the southeast of Louisiana, Shreveport is in the northwest. And so they shipped me up there, and I was in the mental hospital for two weeks, about 12 or 14 days. Can't leave the floor. All the furniture is huge, plastic, bolted to the ground, making macaroni art, you know, all that shit, looking out the window as the world passes on, that sort of thing. Wow. Um, this may seem like a really stupid question, but... It, what what is the purpose? What did you see? What when you look back? What was the purpose of hospitalization and psychiatric care for you? During the time, I didn't want to do it. Like I didn't want to go to rehab or be in a mental hospital. It's like jail. You like you can't come and go. At least you can look outside, you know, and stuff like that. But them people are not. You know, it's just not so. The only benefit is, you know, it let me be still long enough to think, you know, rather than um, to always be moving. Yeah. Now, when I was in Treeport, you know, I was exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous. That was my first exposure to any anonymous program. So there, there was a seed planet there, you know, the thought of sobriety. Okay. Um, now, I wasn't an alcoholic. But this is just how fucked up the system is. So you got a bunch of dope fiends who are shooting up meth and cooking crystal methamphetamine, setting up in a damn AA meeting because that's just what was available. And I think we may have gone to a narcotics anonymous meeting, but you actually have a crystal meth anonymous. You have something more specific to it. But I really wasn't trying to hear what they had to say. I'm like, I'm not an alcoholic. And so, but I'll, you know, I'll go to this meeting and shit. And so I was like, whatever. But, you know, it was during rehab that I begin to go to church again you know and to talk to other people who had similar struggles you know it didn't fix anything overnight but it was the beginning of a good process 
Yeah. And and I take it you, when you look back on all those experiences, that you do feel they did rehabilitate you. Does that sound right? I'd say they played a, a role, a role. The, the mental health, the rehab, the mental health, my personal visits with psychiatrists, my journaling, um, meditation. It takes a lot of things. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to reconstruct a life from nothing. You know, you have to understand I had no job, no money, no car. You know, I was homeless walking the streets with nothing. And so we had to rebuild from the ground up like, okay, let's go get five pairs of shirts that match these five pairs of shorts. You know, whatever clothes I could, I had left. I think I had like maybe one bag worth of stuff left from Texas when I moved here. But you get the point. So we got to rebuild the wardrobe from the ground up, you know. Okay, let's see if we can get a job. I had to be a janitor at the VA hospital because I had three felonies. Um, I had a job paying, I was a, a substation electrician at the light company at Centerpoint Energy in Houston, Texas before I became homeless. So that was a job paying 30, 30 to $70 an hour depending on overtime, double time. So now I'm a janitor making minimum wage, cleaning, cleaning up piss and shit. Um, you know, over 30 years old, living back with my parents. You know, people shame you when you're a janitor. You know, you go somewhere, oh, what do you do? A janitor, they kind of either look away, look, or they comment on it. Or they say, oh, there's nothing that, you know, they make a whole big deal out of it. Yeah. So, so, so it, it takes a lot of patience with people to rehabilitate. You know, it's hard. It, it takes well, time. Well, what I was getting at is that you experienced re rehabilitation and that you didn't go backwards into all the problems. You went forward into the life that you now have. And that's what I was, I think you clearly represent that. I wasn't trying to credit the VA or other, you know, medical people. I think the solutions came from within you, and you are proving that today on a day-to-day -day basis, I think. Right, I agree with that. Well, what I was really trying to do is point out the fact that, no, I reeled back and forth. So I might be sober for a few months, then I might get high or but over time i did less and less drugs okay i never did go back to jail that was by the mercy of god it's not like i wasn't doing illegal shit so it wasn't like i just had an awakening and it stopped so like so if i used to shoot up mess every day you know, for me i switched to crack and then maybe i started smoking that a few days a week sort of thing some people you know it's like a harm reduction kind of thing that i did where you switch to a less intense drug or you do the same drug you've been doing, but you just do it less, kind of gradually get off of it, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. I didn't know that's what it was called when I was doing that. So the answer is, okay, it came from within, but I'm telling you, it took like the better part of a decade for me to get my bearings straight. And I was still, because it, was, it made more sense for me, even though I like had an apartment again, I was able to get that, to go walk down the street and find someone who's homeless to talk to, because I had gotten so accustomed to talking to someone home, you know, to being homeless. So I have an apartment and I have a car now because my parents bought me a little used car and I have this, but my mind is still on the streets. So you, so you get yourself together physically first. So you got to get the ground, the basics covered. It's a whole other jungle to get your head pulled out of the past. So sometimes I would dip back there 
it, but eventually it became more peripheral. I want to ask you about um, sexual identity, um, being a gay man. I never like, came out because I'm not... I struggle within myself about my sexuality only from the angle of, of spiritually because the church always said I was going to go to hell for not being straight. Now, it wasn't until recent years where I started reading the Bible in its original languages, which you could just Google it. Wouldn't may, might not recommend that, but you can get concordances in different books to help you read the Bible in its original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And I started deciphering the passages for myself. I had to go into the Bible for myself and learn how to translate it in order to get their voices out of my head and truly accept my sexuality. So that's what it took for me. I never gave a damn about what my parents thought or my family or friends. I just started showing up at like guys one day and I was like, first of all, I'm clearly not straight. And I was thinking like, okay, if you can't tell, well then I don't know what's wrong with you because it's abundantly clear. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's the first thing. And then secondly, if you don't like it, then you can go and fuck yourself. And that's and that's the attitude that I've always had towards my family and they can and they can go and fuck themselves if they ever decide they have a problem. And I don't really give a shit. But I know that not everyone is like that. That's just me. I wish more people had my attitude, you know, rather than hurting themselves and shit because their family rejects them and stuff. But um, for me, the only struggle that I have, the only consternation was because I'm so spiritual and I, and I want to be so close to God was thinking that my lifestyle might be a problem for him. But then I had an epiphany. I'm like, where the hell did I get this idea from? God didn't tell me that. Other people told me that. Right. You see, we walk around with these beliefs internalized. That's why you'll hear me say all the time, like say on my show, why do you think what you think? Why do you believe what you believe? Where did you get that from? So you're thinking it's your voice. You're thinking it's your beliefs. But that's somebody else's shit that they've put inside of you perhaps a long time ago, you know, and you're thinking it's you. So I'm doubting myself in fear, thinking if I, if I die, I'm going to go to hell. But God never spoke that to me. And all the dreams that I've had from him and all the spiritual experiences, he never said that. Other people said that. And one thing I know about preachers is they cannot separate their personal subjectivity from their message. You'll hear preachers say shit like, well, I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't brought up that way. I'm like, bitch. You, your upbringing ain't got shit to do with this objective message you're supposed to be supposedly delivering to us straight from the throne of heaven. You know, <laughs> it's all mixed in together. But it took a long time for me to to understand that and accept that. So I fully began to accept myself here within the last probably one to three years once I really, really um, learned how to read and interpret the Bible for myself. So... You have a lot of people in the 2S LGBTQIA plus community who are going forth in our lifestyle, yet doubting themselves internally. It's not a good way to live. Right. That's, yeah. No, and when I was first struggling with my sexuality, there, there was not the, did you, are you the one that called it the alphabet mafia? The, yeah, we the alphabet mafia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the old days when I was alive along with Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> it was there was no alphabet. Uh, 
you know, it's just, uh, well, you're a fag, or in, in Spanish, it's maracon, uh, and I'm Portuguese, I forget, isn't that funny? I forget what the Portuguese slur word for gay is, but maricon in Spanish, I know that. Um, but I think that uh, the awareness that men have, and women too, I guess, but the I'm only thinking of gay men, the awareness that gay men have about themselves often is at odds with what we as humans, as gay men or straight men, are taught about, like you said, what God wants. And I was always a smart ass at a very young age. I think I was 13 when I started thinking, you know, does God really care what I do with my cock? And and I never got an answer, but I guess... I guess that God does not care. So I that was in part what led me to not believing in the interventionist God. Because if someone says, I don't, do you think God cares what I do with my cock? Well, if there was an interventionist God, wouldn't I have been struck by lightning? You know, like in the Cecil B. DeMille movies. That didn't happen to me. No lightning for me. And I'm still here. So... I don't know. I think that people struggle, as you have talked about, trying to separate sexual um, needs and spiritual needs. Um, and I simply I don't recommend this, but I simply got rid of heaven and hell, believing I don't believe in either, um, but I don't believe in the interventionist God either. So um, okay. I, I don't know. Am I better off? I, I wouldn't say... I was going to say, I don't feel guilt. You know, the Catholic guilt was a killer of a thing. It was, you know, again, when I was a kid, that they would say things in the church that uh, went something like, if you touch yourself in an impure way, you will go to hell. And I was like, what? Like, what is an impure way? Going to hell for eternity for masturbating? Come on! Just that doesn't work for me. I just couldn't believe in a in a religion that would teach that to young children. It just it didn't work for me. So that's why I gave up what I gave up. Your path obviously was different from mine. And so I wanted to ask you the naming of your memoirs, Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. Is that something, I mean, we're familiar, at least I am, <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's a phrase that we, I don't know who said it first, but I don't know of anyone who has said sex, drugs, and Jesus. How did you, how did you come up with that for a way to name your memoirs? I can answer that. Can I comment on the masturbation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always ask for comments on masturbation. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you said it because my head was headed in that direction. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> you are good. Let's take this show on the road and we'll have... <laughs> right? Oh, so when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, they told us not to masturbate and drink and dance and listen to secular music. And so, you know, I questioned the alcohol thing, and they told me to just basically shut up and listen. And so the mess, the thing is, God has not made these things a big deal. People 
want control over other people. When I was in seminary temporarily, because I, I was going to go get like a whole seminary degree and everything, and the, the, one of the Baptists, he was a, a professor, but I think he had a Baptist background. And he just straight up said in class one day, yeah, the church, is to, we want to control people and everything like that. And he said it so fucking casually. I had to do a double take. And, you know, like, Eric, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> and, you know, and everybody in class was just nodding along. Like he just said, the grass is green and the sky is blue. And I stopped going to that school. But what he was saying is exactly what preachers think. They wish to dominate people. And there, it's easy to do because people give preachers barline trust. Why do they do that? Because they're up on a stage. Now, I'm a licensed hypnotist. I went to um, uh, the first accredited hypnotherapy school, the Hypnosis Motivation Institute, uh, during the pandemic and got licensed in, in, to, in, in, the, in the field of hypnotherapy. Um, and so I learned how all of this works in churches as employees. You know, think about it. When we walk in somewhere, if there's a stage and someone's up there and they're dressed really nice, we automatically give them a certain amount of trust just because of the way they present themselves. And because of that, we're not as critical of them. Because clearly they know more than us because they're on stage. And so churches know this, preachers know this, and they intend to dominate you. It's not their damn business what you're doing with your dick. But, you know... If they can control you in one area, they control you in another. So they can tell you, so they can, and it's very culty like that. You know, yeah, they can, they yeah. can get you to tell you who to fuck, who not to fuck, and get your money. And when I got fired from volunteering from Lakewood, it was because they found my MySpace page and they saw I was hanging out in Montrose in the gate district in Houston and they didn't want me around the children. So they want to control where a volunteer is going in there off time when they're not even at church. You know, that's how that mindset. You know, we, we, the church, can control you, you know. You know, the whole masturbating thing is, is impractical. What you're saying is impractical. You know, we're teenagers, we've got hard dicks. You need to tell me something to do with it other than to just pray. That's not going to work. <laughs> you know, so if you don't have a good damn idea, then just shut the fuck up because no is not the answer, bitch. And so, or as one person said uh, um, that I had interviewed, you know, People, if they're going to be doing sex, sex education, like in the Catholic Church, sex education should come from people who are having fucking sex, right. not people who've taken vows of celibacy. Right. Like it's not, and we know they're not following that shit. They're probably <laughs> fucking all over the place. So I think that they're projecting and making a big deal because they're probably doing the same shit that they're telling you not to do in those Catholic churches. Right. And um, but people get hurt, and then they're like, "Well, fuck it all. This doesn't make sense. It's not logical." But I'm telling you, that's not God's logic. That's man's logic. And the, the, the challenge then is for people to find their way to God without stepping foot in the church again. And you can absolutely do that. And so, second drugs in Jesus. Was there anything you had to... No, that was. I was going to bring you back to that. The title is a very, uh, what, provocative. It attracts... Um, it attracted me. I don't know if it'll attract everyone, but it's you don't usually find those three things together: sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yes, sex, drugs. Yes, but sex, drugs, and Jesus. No. So, but you did. You put that all together, uh, and I was asking why. How did that come about? Well, I wanted to get people's attention, and it's also true to my story. You know, I thought about okay. What's in my history? What, you know, that's the name of my podcast and my memoir. They're both called Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. 
Um, you know, sex speaks to an inherent thing. God created sex. People did not create sex. Therefore, I do not accept people as like sex experts in the first place. You know, it all started with him. Um, you know, and it's something that's important to us. We're sexist. We're sexual. We get turned on by people, places, things, inanimate objects, all kinds of fucking shit. You know, we are made to have sex drives. And so much stuff boils down to dick, it's unreal. <laughs> and and um, and then drugs speaks to our desire to to have an out-of-body experience, be it meditation, be it yoga, be it traveling, be it an orgasm, be it creating a garden. You know, we want to do something, or be it actually doing drugs and partying all fucking weekend long without sleeping. You know, um, you know, drugs speaks to our desire to be higher, you know, in so many different ways. And then Jesus speaks to all spirituality, just the drive for us to connect with our higher power whatever that might be for you and um you know in, in our desire to have a, a good afterlife these are things that we think about we're always thinking about what, what we're gonna fuck next we're always thinking about some kind of way to feel good you know that's the drugs then we're always thinking about some sort of you know what's what happens when we die or how can i connect with god now i think these are three pillars that the whole world stands on yeah, and that's a really good answer. Really good. Um, I wanted to tell you, and this goes back to something we already talked about, but the uh, you were a guest on a, or maybe it was someone you had as a guest, and they were talking about what the Apostle Paul um, got wrong about. Uh, there wasn't even the word homosexuality, but... In his time, which was uh, 60 something years after the death of Jesus, that this guy, Paul, had a conversion, uh, knocked off his horse by a blinding light, and then he becomes what the Christians called Saint Paul. Um, but this guest that you had, or the guest was interviewing you, I'm not sure which way it went, but talked about the things that Paul got wrong. I found that so fascinating, and I wanted to thank you in front of others, and thank you for opening my eyes to that, because no one had ever pointed that out to me, and I have to say how much I appreciated that particular discussion. Um, and it figures in with what you were saying, reading the Bible in the original ancient languages, because so much of what we have today in the present day is filtered through our language of English, you know, and English isn't the ancient language in which the Bible was written. And there's more than one language, you know, Greek, Aramaic and so forth, Hebrew. But you really pulled it together in that show, that podcast. And I, I did want to thank you for doing that. I'm so glad you got something out of it. That was Dr. Marcia Ledford. And I did like a three-part series with her because she has a kick-ass blog on her um, website. I think it's like politicaltheologymatters.com or something like that. And... And yeah, I, that, that that stood out to me, man, because, you know, you, you don't ever hear somebody saying, okay, not everything in the Bible is accurate, not everything, or not everything is in the Bible. I'm going to tell you, everything is not in the Bible. And the Bible, you know, is something that, like you said, is 
I you you often hear me refer to it as the uh, like a Middle Eastern text or something like that because it is, and I like to remind people that it is not an American book, it is not an English book, it's not a European book. You know, the Bible, the Old Testament is Hebrew and Aramaic. The the New Testament is written in Greek. If you care enough about your soul enough to go set up in church every damn week, you should care enough to read it in its original language. You know, you're talking about your afterlife and hell, even your peace here on earth. I wouldn't, when you look through those different translations, man, that's not, that's, that's just somebody else's take on somebody else's book from the Middle East. Those translations are not all, they don't line up. I mean, the fact that we have about a thousand different translations of the fucking Bible tells you right there that it's not an easy book to translate because if the bible had been written in spanish you wouldn't need that yeah so 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 if so if so if you have a word let me think i always use the same one so i'll just use it so if we say el gato es muy flaco i always refer to cats laugh to cats so l is the gato is cat l again i mean muy is very and flaco is skinny you know you don't need fifteen thousand different translations of that you know, it is what it is. Right, right, yeah. But when you get into those ancient languages, it is not word for word. No, the word homosexual wasn't thrown in there. See, back in those days, they there was a lot of pedophilia because the rulers, you know, people are like bisexual a lot, so the older guys like to fuck the young boys. Right. That is what they saw. So it so so people who the people who interpreted the Bible just thought homosexual would work because people just don't like gay people. And right. so they just decided to right. put it in there. It doesn't matter if it made sense because you have to remember when the, those texts were translated, who was at the table doing the translated, doing the translating, conservative white men. Women weren't there. Yes. Gays weren't there. Ethnicities weren't there. I doubt they even had a Hebrew in the room. <laughs> they, just, they just got in there. Right. They, weren't, they weren't welcome at the table, I don't think. No, and therefore we're not represented in the book. Women yeah. weren't counted. You know, women couldn't even vote in this country. You know, that was just a bunch of conservative white Republicans <laughs> <laughs> who just went in there and did what the hell they wanted to do, whether it made sense or not, just like you see happening in today's politics. They don't give a damn. Yes. We'll just stop saying gay. And we'll go, oh, Lord, let, don't, don't let me go down. No, I know, I know, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that Florida... And uh, Ron, Ron DeSantis would even, you know, and then to to say, well, they don't, the, the bill, the law doesn't say don't say gay. It's like, oh, really, Governor? I, it Really, it doesn't say that? What does it mean, Governor? And then he goes, you know, um, and then he wants to not, he wants to penalize, penalize, <laughs> is that the word? He wants to punish the Disney Corporation, which has contributed so much to the state of Florida. If they were to suddenly walk, I don't know where they would go, but let's say they pulled out of Florida totally, 70 or 80,000 people would be unemployed. You know, it's just not going to happen. DeSantis, you're not going to see what he wants to see. He's only running to be the presidential nominee in 2024. He, I'm sure he's a smart man. He went to Harvard and Yale, so he's not a piece of chocolate cake. He's a smart man, so he's doing all this on purpose. But getting back to St. Paul or Paul or whatever one calls the guy, 
that guest that you had, or she was the host, she was able to switch back and forth from English to Greek or Hebrew, I'm not sure which. It was so wonderful that she said, here's the word, da-da-da-da-da, and it really means hospitality, not whatever. I thought that was amazing. So if you talk about people who are up on stage wearing fine clothing, being respected. I respect her because of her use of knowledge. I'm sorry, her use of language. She knows the words that I never heard, the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew. Those are people to respect today, I think. Well, knowledge is power. And as it says in the Hebrew Bible, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Yeah. See, and um, that's why I do what I do. I want people to be knowledgeable and empowered, um, you know, to go to God for themselves, yeah. to learn for themselves. And, and and that's the whole point of shows like that. Um, I mean, episodes like that is to be like, okay, and we, 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 what you're referring to is we went through and we dissected each one of those clobber passages, as they're called, that people always use to condemn homosexuality. And then we offer evidence against what other people have said in an alternate point of view so you see the big problem with you know, like your Ron DeSantis is of the world who I speak he shall never be president it shall not happen <laughs> it shall not happen in Jesus name in Jesus mighty name <laughs> and um but you know when you have you know I mean, can you imagine a bunch of people like say like Ron DeSantis in the room when the Bible was interpreted oh I know I know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so the, the people use those same passages, you know, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and everything to clobber us over and over again. But the arrogance of people who, are, who say they identify as straight, I always say that because you don't know what the hell people are really doing. Um, you know, it's just their point of view. Their arrogance that they think that their way of looking at those scriptures is the only way, and if anyone else has a different point of view than those other people, must be wrong. Yes. You know, yes. they're not willing to take a second look at things because they're just so set in their ways. And so you mentioned the conversion of Paul from Saul from Saul to Paul when he got knocked off the horse. You see, he wasn't willing to take a second look at his look at scripture. You know, he thought that the way he interpreted it was absolute and exact and that everybody who was living out of agreement with his take on it was wrong. He was convinced and he went about the business of persecuting those people, just like Republicans do today, supposedly in the name of the Lord. And God told him he was wrong. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter how convinced and how confident somebody is when they're reading through this, through the Bible and trying to. We're not supposed to read through the Bible to find out what's wrong with other people in the first fucking place. We're supposed to read through there to find out what's wrong with us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I want <laughs> I want you to give the um, the way the uh, web address, the URL, the domain name, whatever you want to call it, so that people can find you and learn from you, as I have. Not everyone will be able to sit and talk with you like this, like we're doing. So would you give that uh, to us? So that'll be on the recording so people will be able to find you. It's simply sexdrugsandjesus.com. Everything's there, social media, all the books, everything, anything that I do is at sexdrugsandjesus.com. 
Okay, well, I this was uh, very, uh, I would say, eye-opening. Um, you are uh, a delightful guest. <laughs> I think see, I've seen that many times on other people's reviews of you being on their podcasts. And uh, I would have to agree. I think you are delightful to listen to and to talk to. And I wish you well. I hope um, a lot of people go to your uh, your website and uh, read you and listen to you. Uh, because I think you have earned it. And again, I thank you so much for talking to us today. I appreciate your kind words. Thank you so much for having me. Find out more about this topic. Go online to the website, tabootruthsandtales.com. That's tabootruthsandtales.com. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Thank you. <laughs>